Hello, and welcome to the Destiny Church Podcast. We trust that this will be a great encouragement to you and build your faith. Enjoy today's message. Hey, we're in a series here at Destiny Church on the life of Christ. How many of you have been enjoying this series? Anybody been enjoying it? I've been loving it. I love our, our daily teachings and uh, our weekly devos. I'm excited today. My 17-year-old son is actually coming over here. He's going to record one of our daily devos and uh, just kind of excited to see him kind of share what God's putting in him. And uh, the Wednesday night life groups and teachings, if you're not a part, if you haven't subscribed to the Life of Christ series yet, you can do that. Text the word Jesus to the number 417-765-0331. You'll get an automated form Fill that out, and that'll set you up, and you'll get a text message every day at 8 a.m., generally around 8 a.m., unless, unless there's technical difficulties. And then Wednesdays, you'd get that Wednesday evening, um, because we don't want to send it to you too early, because you might not come to Life Group. So we're going to send it to you after Life Group starts, just to make sure you come here first. But anyway, but no, we're, uh, we're looking forward to it. And so if you guys want to be a part of this series, just dive in. But hey, today we're talking about the gospel according to Jesus. That's kind of what we've been looking at this week. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter 4. I want to read to you from Luke 4, kind of rehash a few things that Mark Turnage told us on Wednesday night, and then drive home this thought with something the Lord's been putting in my heart. Luke chapter 4, verse 16 and 19 says this, And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor." Now, before we go on any further, I want to look at this word, good news. Everybody say that word, good news, news. that we see in verse 18 that Jesus says he's been called to preach. And I think often as we hear this word, good news, or or we hear the word, the gospel, and we think of simply the story of Jesus, or we think of the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus, and that is a major part of the good news. That is the gospel. I don't want to lessen that in any way, shape, or form, but I believe that the gospel goes beyond Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I believe the gospel goes even beyond the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And like I said, not to lessen that in any way, and I hope to explain that and try to drive this home to you Today, but if you read along with Luke chapter 4, you'll notice that it connects to Isaiah chapter 61. It's this prophetic proclamation that we see. But when we look at this, you're going to notice there are a couple things that begin to stand out to us. And we looked at this on Wednesday, but Jesus actually stops Luke chapter 4, verse 19. And gives it a period before Isaiah chapter 61 verse 2 completes. And they are mirror verses. They, they kind of mirror each other. Well, in verse 19, Jesus stops with to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. But Isaiah 61 2 says to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. And this was what the Jews were actually hoping for during this day, that God would come and 
by force set up his rule and his reign and defeat their enemies. But Jesus comes and says, I'm not about destroying people. I'm about bringing favor and bringing hope and setting up a kingdom that way. And so that's important that we notice that. The second thing we see is Jesus inserts the phrase to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Now we get this from Isaiah chapter 58. And I find it interesting as we begin to dig into this and study this, beginning in probably October, November, the Lord really started bringing Isaiah 58 into my mind. It's it's something I've read quite often, but it's I really this year began to start reading it, even looking at it in a different way. And there's been many times, once, twice a week, I'll go and just read that and say, Lord, what are you trying to say to me? But I believe that Isaiah chapter 58 is very specifically, Isaiah 58 and Isaiah 61 is something the Lord is very specifically saying to Destiny Church in this year. Now, something I want you to understand that Jesus, as the reader of the synagogue here, it tells us in Luke chapter 4, they handed him the scrolls from Isaiah. Well, one of the things that they would do is they would read from the first five chapters that we see in the Bible today. They'd read from there. Isaiah was just something different. As the reader that day in the synagogue, they would have the choice to pick and choose things that they wanted to read. And so I think it's very interesting when Jesus picks Isaiah 61 and when Jesus picks Isaiah 58, because what I believe is happening there is Jesus is beginning to paint a picture for us of what he expects the gospel to look like, what he wants it to look like. So not only does he read from Isaiah 61, and not only does he read from Isaiah 58, but he's beginning to paint this picture. And I believe we'll look at that in just a moment. But before we do, I want to remind some of you, or possibly maybe tell some of you for the first time, in Luke chapter 4, when Jesus stands up to read the scrolls in the synagogues, what is happening here is Jesus is, in essence, launching his public ministry. He's launching it out for the first time, and he's using Isaiah 58, and he's using Isaiah 61, and what's happening here is he's using these to proclaim, hey, I am the one you've been waiting for, I am the Messiah, and I'm coming, but not only that, I believe he's using Isaiah 58 and Isaiah 61 as the platform for which he's going to build his ministry, what his ministry is going to be about, and we'll see those in just a moment, but something else you need to remember is when Jesus is reading from Isaiah 61, and he's connecting it to Isaiah 58, the Jews of this day would understand this because they have been waiting for their Messiah. They have been looking forward to him coming. So they know that when Jesus is saying, hey, I'm going to set the captives free. I'm going to heal the brokenhearted. I'm going to proclaim liberty. I'm going to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. They know because the prophecy that's been read over them. So they know, hey, is this the Messiah? And Jesus is declaring, hey, I am he. But something that I think is really important here is as Jesus is launching his public ministry, it was for everyone then, it's for everyone today. But I also believe Jesus is stating to us the good news, the gospel is not only for all of us in this room, but it was then and it still is today the good news to the poor, the brokenhearted, the captive, the spiritually sick. Now, when we say this word poor, the gospel is for the poor, something we have to understand is we're not only talking about the gospel for the poor financially. We're talking about the poor in all areas of life. 
poor relationally, poor financially, emotionally, spiritually. The gospel is for every single person. And remember what Jesus said in Mark chapter 2, verse 17. People who are, are well don't need a doctor, but only those who are sick. I've not come to call respectable people, but outcasts. Aren't you glad that when you were an outcast, God called your name? Aren't you glad that when you were relationally poor, God came after you? Aren't you glad that when you were broken without hope and without a savior, God came for you? And I believe the gospel, the good news is that God is coming after rich, poor, broken, outcast, lonely, sinner, all of us. God is coming for all of us. And that is the gospel. That is the good news. The good news isn't only the cross, which is important. Please hear me. I'm not negating that at all, but God didn't pick and choose when he was on the cross. The good news is for you when you were broken. The good news is for you when you were running. The good news is for you when you failed. The good news is for you when you were poor. The good news is for you when you were rich. The gospel is is available to each and every one of us. And I'm excited about that. And so if we are going to be, if we're going to accurately portray Jesus, if we're going to tangibly be the hands and feet of Jesus, just as Jesus proclaimed the good news to the poor, the broken, the outcast, we too must proclaim the good news to the poor, the broken, the outcast. We can't pick and choose who we want to give the gospel to. We too have to proclaim it. Because remember, last week, as Pastor Mark told you, the two greatest commandments are love God and love your neighbor who is like yourself. And I think oftentimes when we've read that verse in the past, love your neighbor who is like yourself or love your neighbor like yourself, we've oftentimes thought, oh, that means I can love people that look like me. I can love people that act like me that align politically with me, that believe like me, that agree with me. That's not at all what Jesus is trying to say. We are to love people and serve people no matter what. In Isaiah 4 and Isaiah 58, or Luke 4, Isaiah 58 and Isaiah 61, God begins to bring even greater clarity to this. Let's look at it. Isaiah 61 and then look at Isaiah 58. Isaiah 61 sounds a lot like Luke 4. The Spirit of God, the Master, is upon me because He has anointed me. He sent me to preach good news to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to announce freedom to all captives, to pardon all prisoners. God sent me to announce the year of His grace, a celebration of God's destruction on our enemies, and to comfort all who mourn, to take care of the needs who mourn in Zion, to give them bouquets of roses instead of ashes, messages of joy instead of news of gloom, a praising heart instead of of a languid spirit. So you can begin to see God, Jesus, beginning to build his, his platform. His message is going to be to the poor. His message is going to be to those who mourn. His message is going to be to those who are lonely. His message is going to be to those who are hurting. He's beginning to establish that for us. And then he picks a verse out of Isaiah 58. And when you look at Isaiah 58, one of the things you notice is God is getting onto the church for how they were fasting. And he says, this is the acceptable fast. And when he talks about an acceptable fast, you would think he'd say, don't eat, don't do this. He's not doing anything like that. Hey, when you fast, take care of people. Look at it. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 58. I want to read this to you today. This is the kind of fast I'm after. Listen, notice what he says. To break the chains of injustice, to get rid of exploitation in the workplace, free the oppressed, 
Cancel debts. I like that one. What I'm interested in seeing you do is sharing your food with the hungry, inviting the homeless into your homes, putting clothing on the, sh- shil- on the shivering ill-clad, being available to your own families. Do this and your lights will turn on and your lives will turn around at once. Skip ahead to verse 9. If you get rid of unfair practices, quit blaming victims, quit gossiping about other people's sins. Hello, how many of you know we could probably use that one in the church? Stop talking negative about people. Hello? That's not even in the message. That's just free. But man, if we could just stop talking about each other. Man, I don't agree with you. Okay, that's fine. But I still don't have to talk negative about you. We're called to love and serve others. We can't build up by tearing down. All right? Just kind of a thought there. If you get rid of unfair practices, quit blaming victims. Quit gossiping about other people's sins. If you're generous with the hungry and start giving yourselves to the down and out, your lives will begin to glow in the darkness. Listen to a few things I notice that Isaiah says in 58. Break the chains of injustice. Share your food with the hungry. Minister to the homeless. Put clothes on their back. Get rid of unfair practices. Quit gossiping. Be generous with the down and out. As I was reading through this yesterday and just kind of sitting in my house and just reading this, I felt like the Lord just dropped this into my heart. Chad, if Destiny Church would just get a hold of five or six of these things, you know, just break the chains of injustice, share the food with hungry, minister to the homeless, put clothes on their back. If we would just begin to make those the platform for our ministry, if we would just make this platform of loving and serving others, what I felt like the Lord put in my heart is our buildings would not be able to house who God wants to send to our church. There would be no room for everybody. Why? Because people are looking for a place of hope and we give hope by pointing them to Jesus. And what did Jesus do? He loved and served others. So I believe this is something God is calling us to. And I look, I love what verse 12 says. So if you do these things, you love the unlovable, you reach the unreachable, you give hope to the hopelessness, what he says, and then your lives will begin to glow in the darkness. How many know the world we live in is a dark place? How many know we need to be a light? This connects to John chapter 13. We've looked at this the past few weeks. So I was reflecting on how we can most accurately put hands and feet to this message. I was reminded of John 13, 34 and 35 that says, if you love and serve others, you prove to the world that you're truly my disciples. You prove to the world that you're my disciples. If we can do this, I believe we can change the world. I want you to hear me. Today's message is not some regurgitation of a teaching of Jesus or I'm not standing up here today preaching this message because it was next in line I'm preaching this message because this is my heart's cry for Destiny Church. This has been my cry of my heart since we were about two years old as a church and I was wrestling with our identity. Who do we become? And I remember the Lord began to tell me, Chad, if you'll love people that nobody else wants, if you'll reach people that other people reject, I'll bless your church, I'll bless your ministry, and I'll give you people that everybody wants. And from that point forward, I made it our goal to reach the unreachable, to do what we can to serve our communities. And I believe this message, I believe this platform that Jesus builds his ministry on is the platform for the church to stand on today. Love others, serve others, meet needs, give hope, bind up the brokenhearted, set people free, stop God. I believe this is the message. If we can, you know, 
a lot of times we'll say things like, I love you. I think for the world, we've got to do more than say we love them. I think the church for a long time has said we've loved them, but we haven't had any action behind it. I was thinking about this. I was thinking about my wife. All of you that are married, you probably have had a conversation that maybe looked like this. If not, you need to be the ones teaching marriage counseling in the church. But there's been times I've always made it a point to tell Tasha I love her, even when we get into a disagreement, generally because I'm wrong, but even when we get into a disagreement, if we're leaving, I've always made it a point to say I love you because I've always wanted her to know I love her. I always tell my kids I love them. But there's been times in our life and in our marriage where even though I'm telling her I love her, I'm so busy, I'm disconnected, I'm distracted, I'm at home and I'm working and I'm, and I'm not showing her. She's like, Chad, you, I hear your words, but your actions don't say it. I think that's oftentimes the church. I hear your words, but your actions don't show that you love me. Your actions don't show that you care. So I think if we as a church would become, as our core value says, generous with our time, our talent, and our treasure. And notice it's not all about money. Yeah, we want to be generous with our money, but we also want to be generous with our time and our talent. Some of us have abilities and the world is saying, hey, I don't need you just to tell me you love me. I need you to prove it by serving me. I need you to prove it by meeting a need. I need you to prove it by giving me food when I'm hungry. I need you to prove it by giving me a drink when I need it. I need you to heal the brokenhearted, set the captives free, serve in the church we need. I'm just telling you, if we would do these things, I believe God would let our lights shine in a dark place. I think the gospel, according to Jesus, how I read it, is a call to serve and to love others. When I'm thinking of this story, I think one of the greatest examples of Jesus modeling this is also found in John chapter 13. And we looked at the end of that, and we'll look at it in just a moment again. But John chapter 13 paints a beautiful picture of Jesus modeling loving and serving others. It's just a few hours before Jesus is getting ready to be arrested. Just a short amount of time, he's going to be crucified. And Jesus has his disciples, the 12, getting ready for the Passover meal. Jesus knows crazy, tragic things are getting ready to happen. He knows he's getting ready to die for the sins of the world. But the disciples still don't really have a clue. In fact, lingering in the air, you can almost hear the disciples arguing about who's going to be the greatest. Who's going to be the best? Who's going to sit at the right hand? Who's going to have the biggest house? Who's going to have the most popular ministry? Who's going to win the most lost? Who's going to be the best preacher? Who's going to look the best, act the best? You can hear this argument happening when Jesus is just trying to teach them to serve. And little do the disciples know that everything is getting ready to change. Jesus is getting ready to be taken away. And while they're arguing really about who's going to be the greatest, little do they know they're all getting ready to scatter and not be so great. They're all getting ready to run and hide. And so Jesus, even after being with them and teaching them for three, three and a half years now, he's like, all right, I still got to teach them a little bit more. And while the disciples are fighting amongst themselves and arguing and complaining amongst themselves, they miss something. And we see it in John chapter 13. You see, according to custom, when people would enter a home during this day and this time, they were expected to wash 
people's feet. This wasn't just some church-ordained thing. This wasn't just something that Baptists and Pentecostals started doing way back in the day that made me as a kid cringe when I thought about foot-washing services. I'll never forget the first time I ever had to do that. I've always been just kind of, feet have never been my thing. You know, it's just kind of like, and I remember I had to wash feet and my parents just set me down in front of some lady and she had on pantyhose and I had to wash her feet through the pantyhose and I'm sitting there I'm like going you know it's like touching a you know it's like a person touching a fish a dead fish for the person I was I'll never forget as long as I live and it scarred me you know and I remember when they would say foot washing services I think I have COVID you know before it ever even started I was like man get me out of here I hated those but foot washing was not just something that old school Christians created this was necessary in this day. It was the, the roads were dusty. They wore sandals. They didn't drive. The feet needed to be cleaned. This was a necessary thing. But usually, the, either in a group, the person the lowest in the rank would wash feet or the homeowner or the building owner or the business owner, whatever, would have somebody assigned as the foot washer. But on this night, there's no servant in the room. And the disciples... Maybe they would be a rank from 1 to 12, the disciples. There is nobody in this room that night that's thinking, hey, this is my job. This is my role. The disciples are concerned about who's going to be the greatest. So none of them wash anybody's feet. They all know that this needs to be done, but they walk right by the basin and the towel that's sitting at the entry. In fact, what happens, I believe, as I look at this, is they're all saying, that's not my job. I'm not the lowest. I'm better than Matthew. I'm better than Peter. I'm better than John. I'm better than Judas. This is my, Judas should do this. Somebody else should do this. Somebody else should take this on. Somebody else will take care of it. But Jesus, he walks in, sees the basin and the towel, you can imagine him looking around the room. All the disciples' shoes are on their feet. Nobody's feet have been washed. And in essence, you can hear in the room them still bickering about who's going to be the greatest. There's probably some tension in the room. There's probably some frustration. I, honestly, as you look at it, I can't imagine really how Jesus felt. He's been coaching the disciples. He's been coaching them for three and a half years. He's now getting ready to, in essence, hand the keys of the ministry over to these 12 guys, and they're still fighting about who's going to be the best and who's going to be the baddest. So I want you to notice what Jesus does. It's what Jesus has been doing since he arrived on the scene. It wasn't just something he just did for the first time on this night. He's been modeling them this day after day, love others, serve others, meet needs. So Jesus goes... He finds the basin, the towel, and he maybe wraps it around his waist or ties it into the belt around his waist, and he begins to kneel down and wash the disciples' feet. He's doing what one of them probably should have done. Can you imagine maybe some of the awkward moments in the room thinking, maybe I should, Jesus, let me, I got this, I got this now. It's probably what Peter's actually saying is, no, you can't wash my feet, I got it, Jesus. No, I got to wash your feet. This is, this is not Jesus' job. He's the, he's the Messiah. He's the rabbi. He's the leader. Can you imagine this? Jesus should not be washing their towel. 
putting on this towel is a huge statement by Jesus. Now Jesus is done. He's went through all 12, even Judas. Can you imagine that? Knowing he's going to betray him. He's went through all 12, stands up, puts the towel back, probably a little bit of silence in the room. And Jesus begins to teach some more. We pick it up in John chapter 13, verse 12. Do you understand what I've done to you? You address me as teacher and master, and rightly so, that's what I am. But listen to what he says here. So if I, the master and teacher, washed your feet, listen to what he says, you must also watch, wash each other's feet. And listen to this line right here. I've laid down a pattern for you. Don't get caught up in, in literal foot washing here. For me, one of the most humbling things is to have my feet washed. Tasha gets frustrated at me in the house. I hate taking my shoes off. If I come to your house and you're one of those houses that says you have to take them off at the door, there's a good chance I'm not coming back to your house because it just makes me uncomfortable. It's just how I've always been. And so when somebody would sit down and then wash my feet or whatever, or look at, I don't know why, it's just always bothered me. But don't just put it in the terms of foot washing. I think washing somebody's feet is probably one of the most humbling, kind of put yourself out there moments. So I want you to think of this in that terms of getting down where somebody's really vulnerable or somebody might be embarrassed about a pain or a hurt or something in their life and loving them there. Maybe where there's been a failure in their life, loving them through that failure. Maybe where there's some dysfunction in their family, loving them through that dysfunction. Instead of pointing a finger or condemning or accusing or walking away, looking and saying, you know what? In your failure and in your deepest, darkest moment, in your most vulnerable moment, I still love you. And in fact, I want to get down in that moment with you. And I want to love you in that moment. You know what? In fact, I want to help you work through your failure. I want to work through that embarrassing moment. And Jesus is doing that for the disciples. And he's saying, I've laid down the pattern for you where I where you've seen me love and serve others. Jesus, you, you see story after story. The woman with the issue of blood, she's a reject. Nobody should be around her. She shouldn't be around her, anybody. But Jesus stops in that moment to heal her. Blind Bartimaeus, he should also, he's an outcast. He's a reject. What does scripture say? Jesus stops and says, bring the man to me. Jesus finds the downcast, the broken, the hurting, the lonely, the rejected. And he says, not only will I wash your feet, not only will I meet you there, but I'm going to heal you there and I'm going to use you from that point. Jesus goes on, what I've done, you do. I think that's what he's saying to us today. What I've done, you do. It's as if Jesus is looking at the disciples and he's looking at us today and he's saying, hey, been with you for three and a half years. Been with you for a long time. We shouldn't be dealing with who's the best, who's the greatest, Who's the most anointed? Who's the best looking? Who's the most talented? Who's the best singer? Who's the be we shouldn't be dealing with that. We shouldn't be worrying about who's going to have the biggest home or the nicest place in heaven or who's going to sit in my right hand or who's going to sit in my left or who am I going to give most notoriety to? Who's going to have the most social media followers? Who's going to have the biggest that or the biggest that? No, Jesus is saying, if the gospel, if the good news is going to be preached to the world, then we've got to settle this issue. It's not about a title. It's about a towel. 
If we're going to reach the world, we've got to move beyond ourselves, beyond our pride, beyond what we think we are. And we've got to pick up a towel and we've got to help somebody say, in your worst moment, I want to be there for you. In your most embarrassing moment, I want to be there for you. I'm telling you, if the church can be there when people are hurting and in pain, the church will rise up and make a difference in this world. But too often, we don't pick up a towel. It's about a title. It's about a towel. I remember when we planted this church 15 years ago, had a group of people help us plant, had a young man that helped us plant that really had a desire to be in ministry. And man, when you're planting a church and you got willing, able bodies, you don't care a whole lot. Yes, come help. And I remember this young man was like, Pastor Chad, I want to be a youth pastor. I'm like, all right, you're young. You're going to be a youth pastor. And I remember, though, one day I sit down and I said, why do you want to be a youth pastor? And I'm thinking he's going to give me some great story of why he wants to be a youth pastor. And this story marked me. He says, well, I remember my youth pastor. And I'm thinking, oh, his youth pastor did something for him. He said, I remember when I'd walk into my youth pastor's office, he always had this plaque on his desk that said, Pastor so-and-so. And he said, I want one of those plaques that says, Pastor so-and-so. And I know there had to be more to his heart than that, but he wanted a title. It was in those moments I started realizing it's really about a towel. So Passover finishes, Jesus has washed their feet. He's told them to model what he does. Now Judas is betraying him. Judas is leaving. Jesus teaches just a little bit more in John 13, 34, and 35. And he says, let me give you a new command. Love one another. In the same way I have loved you, you love one another. This is how everyone will recognize that you are my disciples when they see that you have love for each other. What do you say in Isaiah 58? When you heal the brokenhearted, when you set captives free, your light will glow see, from our viewpoint today, we can read the scripture and think that Jesus was talking about the cross. He hadn't yet been to the cross for the disciples. So they don't have that as a measuring stick. So what do they have? They, ha- they have how Jesus lived. They have how Jesus loved. You see, that's why I say the gospel isn't just about the cross. The cross is a major part of it. I, please hear me. I don't want anybody to walk away and say, Pastor Chad was negating the cross. Without the cross, there's no hope, right? But I just wonder if all Jesus had done is just popped into earth one day and went on a cross would have had as big a difference as if he'd lived here for 33 years and modeled it for us. You see, to the disciples, it wasn't about the cross. It was about how he lived. It was about how he loved, how he served. And I think the gospel, according to Jesus, is all about loving and all about serving. That's what he's calling us to. To love, to serve, Destiny Church is being called to right now. To serve. To get our hands dirty. To put the towel on. To love the unlovable. How can we better proclaim the gospel to the world? By loving and serving them. 
Thank you so much for joining us. Special thanks to those of you who give to this ministry. It's because of you that this ministry is possible. You can check out the link in the description to give or visit destinychurch.me slash give. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. We love you and have a blessed week.